Joe Varden. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh. uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play when coming to rank. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to a double podcast special at The Athletic. This is Sam Amick, typically co-host of Tampering, and this is Tampering this week. As always, this is also Game Notes, the Utah Jazz pod with our guy, our beat writer, Tony Jones, who is on the line today also with our national insider and reporting extraordinaire, Sham Sharania. Um, It's a little different flow this week for everybody. We're excited about it. The three of us here have spent the past couple of weeks working pretty hard on a story that came out on Friday uh, at The Athletic and something that we wanted to dive deep into here to just tell a few stories about a moment that was about as memorable, unprecedented, transcendent as I can remember in the NBA and then the world at large is we are going to go back to the night of March 11th in Oklahoma City where uh, Rudy Gobert, Jazz Big Man, becomes patient zero, so to speak, of the NBA, first player to test positive. And uh, and that's what our story was about. Uh, everything leading up to that moment, everything during that moment, a lot of the chaos that happened that had not been previously reported and, and what it means for hoops, what it means for the world. Um, guys, excited to have you on here. I know it's a somber topic in terms of the pandemic that everybody is trying to find their way through. But um, we still kind of do what we do, right? And, and this story was a pleasure to work on with both of you. Tony, I'll start with you. I feel like it's the hometown treatment because it's it's your team that was at the center of this. How the heck are you, brother? This was this was a crazy thing about a month ago. Yeah, I'm good. And, um, you know, first, first of all, uh, thanks for having me on. I uh, really appreciate uh, that. Um, you know, it was it was a really surreal moment for everybody involved. Um you know, it was one of those moments where um, kind of everybody was 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 you know everybody involved was kind of freewheeling because it was so unprecedented, uh, and I think that that was one of the um, that that was one of the things that we that was one of the points that we tried to hammer through uh, with with uh, our story, and you know it it was just uh, it, it was like you said, Sam. It was a moment that you know I don't think. Uh, many people will soon uh, forget. Uh, I think it's one of those uh, moments where everybody's going to kind of remember exactly where they were uh, at the time of it. Um, uh, so it's certainly going to go down um, in NBA history. Uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how, you know, things kind of rebound uh, from here. Shams, I want to make sure we bring you in here quickly, brother. Um, we all know where Tony was because he's covering the team that was front and center and in the middle of it all. Um, and, and like he said, this is one of those moments where none of us are going to forget where we were. Um, first of all, thank you for joining us. Secondly, you know, where the heck were you? And, and you know, do you remember the details of just that moment and, and how this kind of news? I mean, you broke the news about Rudy testing positive and your Twitter timeline is blowing up all the time anyway. Um, I actually meant to go. I'm going to look here in a minute. I meant to see uh, how many retweets that bad boy had because that's that's a bigger than basketball story. 
that you broke. Uh, where were you? And, and just kind of, you know, is it crazy to you like us that, that this was already a month ago? Yeah. First of all, great. Like, like Tony said, great joining you on the podcast. You guys have just been unbelievable teammates through all this and just in in general. Um, but you know, Tony was at the arena. I was in Chicago at a, I was, I was at a gym actually trying to get a workout in, and um, this was, I think, close to 6.45, almost going on 7. And a couple hours, you know, two, three hours before uh, game time, I had actually gotten a heads up that Rudy and Emmanuel Moutier underwent the coronavirus test. And, you know, kind of like when Stephen Curry had it prior that, that prior weekend, you, know, you think it's just a precautionary thing. It'll come back negative and the NBA will resume play as as they were going through the next day with no fans and everything was going to go on as life, you know, period. And I think around that same time when I learned that he underwent the test, Tom Hanks kind of announced uh, along with his wife that they had tested positive, which was the first reverberating thing that went on. Um, And then, you know, I got an alert. um, I got tipped off that, you know, that Rudy had tested positive and it was around the same time that the players got sent back um, to the locker room and, you know, that's something, you know, when you, when you guys go into reporting about the NBA, you know, we think that we're going to report about a lot of things and we have all reported on a lot of things, but you don't think that you're going to be reporting on viruses of, of, you know, pandemic levels, epidemic levels. And so I knew the importance of that, of first of all, making sure that it's right. This isn't a normal injury. This isn't a trade. This isn't a transactional thing. And there are a lot of legal backgrounds that we had, a lot of hoops that we had to cross. So really the first thing I did when I heard it, um, when I confirmed it really, um, which took me about 20 minutes, 30 minutes uh, to really get a sense of this is real as I reached out to Sergio uh, Gonzalez, a great editor um, who has helped me a lot in terms of just pushing me the right path on a lot of things. But, you know, after reaching out to him, we kind of set, set everything in motion in terms of the reporting of this and jumping through all the legal hoops. So that night, you know, I left the gym immediately and, and I knew it was going to be a long night, a long, you know, we were all going to go in. Like, I knew the ramifications of this until, you know, like no one was prepared for this. No one was equipped for this. And when you're not equipped for anything, when when the league as a whole wasn't equipped on how to handle this, which, you know, we tell in the story, um, there was no protocol um, you know, you just pause and that's exactly what happened for the, for the world. No, absolutely. And you gave me plenty of time there to, to get, look that number up 25,000 plus retweets. And that's not, I don't share that for any other reason, but to obviously underscore the gravity of it all. And the fact that uh, news like that goes well beyond NBA fans, you know, that was something that had a ripple effect on society at large. It was the moment when everybody took notice even more so than before about, the severity of it. And, and I mean, just the, the mere idea that we need to take some pretty drastic measures to try to flatten the curve and, and get the world healthy again. Um, so that obviously guys, that was that night. And so Shams's tweet goes out at six twenty seven PM Pacific time. Um, but a lot happened before then a lot happened after then I'm going to throw it to Tony this way, because when it comes to reporting a story like this, you know how this goes, you know, especially you, Tony, cause you were there, you lived it, you wrote stuff that night. You wrote stuff in the days afterwards. Uh, you knew a lot of the story, but then, you know, one of the luxuries of being at the athletic, I know it sounds like a commercial, but it's true is that, that you know, we'll take the time and have the luxury of going back and, and doing even more reporting. And that was kind of the challenge here. 
Um, Tony, in the process of doing this piece, um, you know, where did you begin? I know you and Sham started on this before I was even part of the project. Where did you begin? And, and, and also what stands out to you most, uh, things that you learned and things that you found most interesting that you didn't know, even though you had lived it. The first thing, the, the, the biggest difficulty of, of, uh, this story for me was, um, so much of what happened to me that night did not happen to me as a reporter. Um, and would not have happened to me. It would not have happened if I was a reporter. So, you know, I was in the jazz locker room, um, and, um, you know, that's where I received my, my coronavirus test. And in the midst of that, Quinn Snyder walks in and he says, yeah, well, you know, the biggest challenge that we're having right now, we, you know, we, we've got to get an effing plane out of here and we got to find an effing pilot to fly the plane. And, you know, we got, you know, we got to find a smart pilot that we, we figure out that, um, you know, all of us are not Rudy. And, you know, it's the kind of, so that was the kind of reporting that, um, you know, while we were, uh, doing the, the, the official reporting from the story, we, uh, I had to go back and double and say, okay, um, is this okay that, that, you know, we used in this story. So a lot of the stuff that some of the stuff that, you know, we had in the story, I had to double back and, and, you know, go through the proper channels and, and, you know, and make sure that this was, was confirmed to be okay to actually put it in as a, as, as a reporter. So that was a challenge. Um, you know, the, the balance between, um, you know, being a, a citizen and being a, a journalist uh, on that night was probably the greatest challenge um, that I've ever had um, because, you know, the first um, the first inclination is to report on the story uh, as it happens. The second inclination is, oh, my gosh, um, I might have the coronavirus because I, I've, I've been exposed. So, you know, that, that part was challenging as well. Um, as far as um, the story itself, you know, it was, it was, it was challenging to report because it, there were so many layers that we had to, to figure out, um, that we had to get right. Um, you know, just the little details, the little nuance, um, you know, going through, you know, every, every part of, of, you know, the, the reporting process and every part of the story that we ended up going through, um, you know, going back to, to the players and, you know, talking to the players about this, you know, uh, on or off the record, um, you know, talking to the, the executives involved, um, you know, the, the background that we were able to accrue, uh, for, for, for what, what ended up being a finished product. So, you know, it was a long and arduous and, and, and tedious process. Um, you know, I think, the the best part is that you know I think all of us uniquely bought something different uh, to the reporting process. Um, you know, uh, you know, Shams obviously used you know his his uh, his tremendous sourcing. Um, Sam, you used your tremendous sourcing, and you know I was able to scrape a few things together as well. So you know I think that you know just all three of us being able to to hit different hit on different areas 
uh, in, into uh, to pull the uh, the information together and, and to pull the story together. I think that that's what's what makes this story the most unique. Shams, give me your breakdown, brother. I think because one of the things that always happens in this business is when a, a big moment happens and uh, you report on it that night and it's chaotic. But most of the time, you know, you, it's it's on to the next, right? Like you you just the the league keeps going, the games keep coming. And you don't necessarily take the time to go hit the rewind button like we did and go backwards. And so, again, like Tony, like me, like you knew a lot from that night how this went down. And uh, but then once you slowed down, once you started making more calls, talking to people, um, you know, what what are your takeaways? Even even if you put your reader hat on, like if you're reading this story as if you didn't write it, you know, what what jumped out to you the most in terms of uh, just what what you found most revelatory? I think just how in the dark everyone was about coronavirus and not about the pandemic itself and not about what it meant, but just the veracity of it and how far reaching it would be. Like just to think about the timing, right? Like late Friday, the NBA, you know, sends a memo to all its teams saying like prepare in the case that we play without fans. So to go from that to a few days later, you know, we're not playing with fans as of Wednesday morning, you know, on, on Thursday in NCAA basketball, you know, the tournament, no fans. Like, those were both big deals. Those were both landmark moments. Those moments by themselves in isolated situations would have been landmark, like, we've never seen in professional sports. And so to go from that extreme to, like, everything gets shut down and we have, you know, quote-unquote patient zero in the NBA that basically shut down the league that shut down all the other leagues that shut down the country in the days and and weeks to follow. I think really just how in the dark everyone was about how far reaching this would become. And, um, you know, kind of like how Tony said, I think that we all brought something very, very unique. You know, that night was really when me and uh, Sergio first started talking about doing a TikTok. I, I, I knew, you know, that's what we, we do. You know, we try to bring readers behind the scenes on things. And I, I told them, like, this is going to be, this is going to be that. Like, I think we're going to have enough information. I knew that night I had in, enough information if I wanted to do, like, a TikTok on that week. And just that week, right? And that's not even involving Tony, not involving you. But, you know, through Sergio's, and that's why, you know, I, I give him the amount of credit that I do. He's got such a lens for the big picture and um he knew you know obviously tony being on the ground level what he was able to bring from the week two weeks prior to that to week after that um you know he, he brought a great perspective the, the amount of, of first person accounting that you were able to do was tremendous and i think we all you know brought so many different elements to it and i'm just proud that we were able to get it across because it's not easy when we all have different information to kind of piece the puzzle together like that. No, for sure. I mean, it's tricky. Uh, and, and even as long as I've done this, like, and I enjoy it, but the collaboration process is inexact science type stuff. You know, you're in a, a Google doc with everybody moving in the same space. Um, and, and I, you know, again, appreciated you guys throughout the process too. For me guys, um, you know, first of all, as you know, my involvement ended up being somewhat accidental. We had Joe Ingles on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And next thing you know, you know, and the intent was not necessarily, you know, to, to go down memory lane as much as he did, but he shares a bunch of perspective that ultimately makes its way into the story. And, and that was an interview here on the tampering pod. Um, but then once, you know, once I learned a few things about Quinn Snyder in particular, uh, for me, that's where my curiosity got really peaked. And, and, you know, and I kind of want to 
get your guys' two cents on this too, because the whole world had a very strong opinion about that moment where Rudy Gobert touched the microphones on uh, March 10th, I believe it was. No, March 9th, I'm sorry. The shoot around before the Jazz uh, play Toronto at home. And, and at that time, you already have media rules in place where players have to be farther away from reporters. That's why Rudy was distanced from the media crowd at that shoot around session. Uh, he gets up and, you know, call it foolishly, call it recklessly or irresponsibly, touches the microphones and it becomes after the fact, like that's why he's the poster boy, not only because he got the positive test, but because the optics were so bad. Um, what I learned and what we learned that, that certainly illuminated, you know, even more of the situation and well beyond Rudy was that Quinn was very much the opposite from an attitude standpoint on the coronavirus. He grew up in Seattle, uh, just east of Seattle, Mercer Island. His father was an athletic director at the high school there for a long time, deep Seattle roots. And as this coronavirus kept spreading, uh, he basically just kept getting more and more worried, reading the headlines, talking to people back home. And his radar was up in a major, major way for how serious this was. Um, and next thing you know, he's implementing certain things with the team, even ahead of the NBA's curve. And this obviously is all in the story. But around March 1st is when the NBA first started telling teams to uh, talk to their players about the coronavirus. Well, back on February 25th, Quinn was addressing the team at practice to talk about it. Um, and that contrast um, I found very fascinating because it's a tough one, right? Because Quinn and, and a lot of people, Dennis Lindsay, Justin Zanuck, David Morway, all of them, they, I, I think, by and large, um, were all over this situation. They were responsible. They were educating their players. And then, unfortunately, you have this moment where the messaging could not be any more different, right? And it's not good messaging. It sends the, the wrong kind of attitude about the problem. Uh, and then it just so happens to be the guy that got the positive test. But the Quinn role in this story, uh, I enjoyed writing about. He was, you know, roundly lauded by jazz people and even thunder people as a real leader in this situation. Um, he, quick side story that you guys are aware of. Uh, got a kick out of learning that Quinn and his, his brother, Matt, who lives in Seattle, has a specialty food shop in the middle of the uh, Pike Place Market, and he's very good friends with the longtime bassist of Pearl Jam. And uh, I got to give a little assist and shout out to Bill Simmons on his podcast, Had Pearl Jam On Recently. Um, and I had already heard this Pearl Jam little anecdote, and lo and behold, um, the bassist actually mentioned it in passing on the podcast. Just all he said is that he had some friendships with the jazz and that they had been talking a little bit during this process. And even that concept. I thought it was so interesting. Here's Pearl Jam, a legendary band for decades, trying to figure out if it needs to cancel its concert tour. They had a North American tour coming up um, that they had to decide on. Adam Sandler, right around the same time, was deciding what to do with his tour. You know, the NBA wasn't the only one making these tough decisions. And in moments like these, you see, you know, these big entities. Uh, you know, coordinating, communicating. And so for me, that was probably the most interesting part of the whole piece. Uh, but, but there's so much more from there, Tony, um, where do you think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. Cause we do want in a moment to talk about, you know, what's next league wide, what's next, you know, in ways beyond the jazz. And, uh, but when it comes to the team dynamics themselves, you know, we got to ask you about the basketball subplot here of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And that is something we address in the story. And to give the quick recap, 
you know, Donovan obviously also tested positive after the fact the morning after they get those results. Um, it's not a secret that by this point he's been very frustrated with Rudy in the part that he played in this whole saga. And our reporting is that there's no indication whatsoever that, that, you know, those fences have been mended at all. Uh, what is your, your kind of updated perspective on the possible fallout with those two guys? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's something that, you know, to me, I mean, you know, those two guys are going to have to eventually, um, you know, get together and, and have conversations and, and talk it out. And, you know, whether it's a hard conversation, you know, or a hard couple of conversations or a hard series of conversations, um, you know, if, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, you know, this is what the jazz feel. And, you know, some of that, some of this is in the story, but you know, this is the way the jazz feel. They, they, if, if Donovan go, if Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert um, stay at the level of basketball player that they are right now today, um, the jazz can win 50 games a year. They can be the fourth or fifth seed in the Western conference every year. Um, you know, every other year they might have a chance to make the Western conference finals. Um, you know, but they're not at the level of where they, where they want to be, which is at a championship level for, for the jazz to reach a championship level. This front office knows that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have to not only be on the same page, um, but they have both of their, both of their games have to be at a, a, a better level than it is now. Um, so, you know, they're committed to, to, to this core uh, the jazz themselves. They're committed to this core. There's no indication for me that, you know, they're, they're at a point where they're, they're trying to choose uh, between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the front office knows that there's an issue and the front office knows that um, there's a significant issue. Um, you know, so it's one of those things where I think, um, over the course of time, um, you know, the hope is that cooler heads prevail. And over the course of time, you know, teammates start talking. Uh, and when I say teammates, uh, I mean Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in this, in this situation. Um, I think a lot of the, the rest of the team has, has kind of, you know, uh, mentally and emotionally moved on. Uh, from from the raw emotion of of that night and and from the days um, uh, that preceded that, um, you know. But you know, those two have to to you know, for for lack of a better term, they just have to work it out, um, you know. And I think that uh, it, it's something that uh, there's optimism that that it can be worked out, especially. Um, because nobody knows when we're going to see NBA basketball again. It might be in, in June. It might be in August. It might not be until next season. Um, you know, so there, there's a time element here um, that's to me, is, is kind of on the Jazz's side um, because it's not like they're going to have to go and play that, figure out how to play basketball next week and be teammates again next week. Um, you know, so this isn't a matter of, of days or weeks. To me, this is a matter of months. Uh, but but it does have to happen, uh, and if it has to happen via 
uh, some hard conversations, then then that's that's what has to happen. Good perspective tone, you know, on the ground from Salt Lake City, uh, and that's the beauty of having you on here and having Shams on here too. Is Shams, I, I would love to hear your take on the same topic, but with the obvious kind of different framing, which is that you know Tony's dealing with the jazz folks all the time and can, can take a pulse there. You and I both know that, all right, there's 29 other teams with 29 other views of the Donovan-Rudy situation. And this, I think, potentially becomes, once basketball is up and running again, um, uh, one of those deals where the the Sharks kind of start circling and figuring out, are the Jazz going to stick with it or are they going to do something here? What's your read on this situation between these two guys? Yeah, I think Tony did a great job breaking it down. I think overall the the theme just isn't that there there were some underlying issues those two guys going into this and um, this whole situation, I think moved, you know, moved it to a different place. And, you know, there's a quote in there that this doesn't appear salvageable. Um, I, I think you got to obviously add the caveat of right now. I think that, you know, the jazz have definitely started to try to get these guys on the phone and, and um, you know, but both of them from everything I've been told is Donovan Mitchell has been very focused on his own situation right now on getting, first of all, getting healthy, getting through that quarantine and just, you know, he's isolated himself, um, you know, with his, with his mom um, on the East coast. And, you know, he, that that's, you know, as I report in the story and you know, I don't, you know, I don't think this has been really shared out there is that he went home in, in the immediate aftermath of testing positive for a coronavirus. Um, you know, the entire team went back to Utah and, um, and, and, you know, Rudy Gobert caught a flight to Utah the next day, a private flight. And instead, Donovan Mitchell goes, uh, to the East coast. And I think that that for him meant he wanted to be close to his family and be with his mom and everything like that. But overall, I think that, um, you know, I think the jazz are in for, you know, a tricky situation here and trying to ba- balance this out and see if these guys can can reach a common ground. Yeah, and like Tony said, too, the time is on their side. There's a complete uncertainty, obviously, about when they might actually share a locker room again. So they can kick the can down the road for a while, and we'll certainly keep monitoring that situation. Guys, I know we want to pivot to the league at large and and bring the scope of this conversation a little wider here. Uh, and so quick, thank you for the take notes listeners uh, for this portion of the pod. If you want to hear the rest of it, uh, check in with the tampering podcast in a couple of days here. Uh, I think either Sunday night or Monday morning, that should be live and, and you can enjoy the rest of the, the chat between these three guys. Uh, we're going to keep going here. Um, let me keep it with you, Shams. We got the jazz story. We got OKC drama you know march 11th in that city um similar drama in sacramento when the king's pelicans game was gonna be the last game on the docket but they shut that down but okay now it is what it is the season has been suspended for a month um we've never seen something like this before uh you reported today based on uh, internal memo that players uh gonna get their paychecks in full on april 15th that was something that was not clear at all for the past few weeks there were proposals issued and kind of lobbed uh, in both directions between the players union and the league about possible pay cuts. And and so that's part of this discussion. Um, We have training issues for players who can't be with their team trainers. I mean, there's so many layers to this thing. Uh, But as we sit here breaking it down on April 9th, um, what updated view do you have of where the I'll put it this way from the league standpoint, where do you feel like their focus is right now in the prospect of you know salvaging the season in any form? 
Yes, and they want to salvage it. You know, whether you talk to owners, players, GMs, presidents, you know, league office, they want to salvage the season. I think that that much has been made. And so, you know, Adam Silver said the other day that he is not going to make any decisions. The league isn't going to make any decisions on anything until the end of this month. So that, that pushes the calendar to May 1st, and that's most likely where we're going to see our next update, not only on on the season, on when there's a possible resume update, but also their next, the players' next paycheck. That's the next time they're going to get paid is May 1st. And is that the point? And I think there is some talk among agents and players that May 1st will be the first date that the league will start docking pay. And so that's something to monitor. Um, but as I reported the other day, you know, there, there were multiple offers made as far as payment structure. The league came at 50% on April 15th. The MBPA countered at 25% on May 15th. And now, as we know, the NBA just told its team to pay the players in full. And I think that was the best decision at this point. And you evaluate everything else later. As far as the season, I think the one, you know, the couple things that they've established is that, you know, whenever this resumes, they want to do it in a bubble city, most likely Las Vegas. And the second thing is they want to have a, uh, you know, the preliminary plan that they discussed with the MBPA is a two-week quarantine in whichever city and have as many people tested, as many players, um, team officials, you know, have an essential staff that travels with, with, with each team to the city and have everyone tested and, and have them in a two-week quarantine before they can start a two-week training camp and then an abbreviated regular season playoffs. And, you know, but when are we going to get to the point as a country and, and as a nation where we can readily distribute these tests? Now, you know, as we've seen, NBA teams have not had, you know, severe issues finding testing when they needed it. Um, they've gone out of their way, spending money on their own accord and, and, and getting tested, whether it's the Nets or whether it's the Lakers. And so, you know, will the NBA at large be able to do the same thing? I think these are all unanswered questions, but those are two preliminary plans that have been discussed. And so we don't know when that'll be. The hope is that it'll be sometime in June and it'll be, you know, it'll be up in the air and fluid until then. I tell you what, guys, um, not to come in like the Grinch and be the cynic in the room, but my gosh, uh, you, you detailed that beautifully, Shams, but the testing aspect is where, not you personally, but where the, where the league loses me right now when it comes to the prospect of saving the season. And, and, and I just don't understand how they think they can bridge the gap between the realities of the country right now and what it would take for them to be able to tell their players in good conscience that you're safe. Because when it comes to the testing, you know, Garrett Temple of the Nets was on our pod a couple of weeks ago talking about the prospect of 45 minute testing that that is something that is now available, well, but it's not readily available. And even if the league can get the massive number of tests that it would take to execute this plan, I think that the problem on the back end, and that's a big if, but let's say they did. Let's say they got the tests and they had 45-minute tests and and maybe they could test every day because I think you got to keep testing unless you have an antibody test. you got to make sure everybody's still healthy, even though you're quarantined. But the optics of that and the PR of that are potentially disastrous. I mean, do you want to be a sports league that is out here just burning through tests like crazy when literally today, guys, not to get in the weeds too much, but... I went for a little walk and I was listening to a New York Times podcast about the situation. And there's a nurse on the pod telling stories about how while she's treating all these folks with COVID, she needed to get a test herself. And this poor woman, she got the test she needed. She also got an ER bill. 
and, and has a bill sitting on her desk. This is a frontline worker, you know, to try to reconcile those two realities to me is untenable. So uh, we'll see. But May 1st, you know, the world could look uh, hopefully a little bit better and we'll see where it goes. Tony, um, I know we're technically off the jazz part, but this jazz thing to me definitely speaks to a league wide part of this as well. I want to ask you about um, the financial aspect with owners. You know, Shams breaks down the player paychecks. All right. They get paid in full uh, at April 15th. Uh, but owners, you say what you will about how these team valuations are through the roof, and and yes, it's it's a different sort of struggle when it's wealth, you know, wealthy folks losing money compared to regular people. But the Jazz had layoffs already, uh, and they've had pay cuts as well for some top level people. And Gail Miller, running the Miller Foundation and the Miller, you know, operation at this point uh, from the, the late Larry Miller, they are car dealerships and they are movie theaters, if I'm correct. And my, and my feeling here is that we're going to start to see more of this where the owners who have revenue streams that are getting severely impacted by the nature of this stay at home reality are certainly going to be the ones who are hurting first. We saw it with the jazz. You can see it with the Houston Rockets with Tillman Fertitta, who's got restaurants and casinos um, break down the, you know, the, the ownership situation with the jazz for us a little bit. Well, I mean, there, there's no question. I mean, this is definitely impacting uh, the Miller family uh, negatively, um, you know, because, you know, a lot of their wealth is from from car dealerships and and theaters, and and you know those are um, the the auto industry and, and movie theater industry. I mean, those are those are two of um, you know what you would call the the, the real um, the the real uh, industries that have been really negatively affected. Um, negatively impacted um, by the virus and and the impact of the virus. Um, you know, nobody nobody wants to buy a car at this point uh, because you know there's there's not much uh, loose cash around. Nobody wants to go to the movies. Nobody can go to the I'm movies. Just gonna sit in the driveway anyway. You know. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You know, I me personally, I fill my tank up. Uh, I filled my tank up uh, when I got off uh, quarantine uh, um, uh, two weeks ago, and and I haven't even gone through half a tank yet. Right. Um, you know, so um, you know, nobody's buying a car right now. Nobody's going to the movies right now because you can't go to the movies right now because you can't congregate. You can't congregate in large people. Right. Uh, and and so you know, it, it's it's one of these things where. Um, you know, if, if your wealth is, is built on, upon non-essential, anything in a non-essential industry, you're going to be impacted, uh, especially as, as long as this goes on. It's one of the reasons why, um, the NBA is really intent on trying to make a go, uh, at, 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 at salvaging the season, because there is so much money from so many different avenues, uh, at stake and, you know, these impact the, the, the layoffs uh, from from the jazz. It really impacted uh, a lot of people and impacted is almost as many as a, a, a thousand workers um, it impacted um, the jazz's flagship radio station. Uh, one of my good friends, Tony Parks, um, who's, you know, one of the most talented people in the media field, he was laid off. Um you know, so um, it, it's one of these things where 
uh, it, it was it really hit home, uh, and it was it was a major layoff. Um, and you know, it, it'll it's it's kind of scary, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, what's going to happen if you know this thing goes into July and August uh, and September? And you know, the the scary thing is this virus might be too far gone to contain um, with just social distancing. And this, this virus might not truly be contained uh, until we find a vaccine. And we're not going to find a vaccine, um, you know, for, for a long, long time. Uh, so it's going to be re- interesting to see uh, what happens in the coming months. No doubt. Uh, Shams, that makes me wonder on the ownership level, who comes to mind, if anybody, for, for other owners that you think might you know be hurting more than than others you know what i mean like and not we're not trying to sit here and get into everybody's uh bank account info but like you know you you know the general nature of a lot of these different owners and and where their revenue streams come from and where their health financially comes from um you know any other teams come to mind we, we mentioned houston and utah but they're not alone for sure yeah i mean the first two that really come to my mind is is, is Tomo Fertitta and and the business that he's got. And uh, I think something came out the other day where he had to take a loan out. Um, So I I think, you know, for his, for his, for his side business, like, so I I think, you know, he's, you know, he's one that comes to mind. Mickey Harrison, you know, with all of his, you know, significant business coming from cruise ships and things of that sort. Um, Miami Heat, obviously. You know, those are two guys that I've heard. Yeah. With Miami Heat, exactly. And those are two guys that, you know, I've heard on my end, but, Again, like through this, you know, owners are definitely going to be hurting on the front line. And, you know, so far the players have still gotten their checks. But if the games get canceled here anyway, you know, they're going to have their salaries pulled as well. So, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, that's why everyone wants to get back to basketball. You know, everyone's focus, you know, from ownership on down, from the league on down, it's to get back to basketball because everyone understands, you know, it's about health first and foremost. And that's, you know, another detail that we had in the story, which was, you know, on that call uh, with Donald Trump, with all the major league sports commissioners, um, you know, I I had sources with multiple commissioners tell me that they were being, essentially pushed to, to resume the seasons as soon as possible. And that was a topic of conversation. Again, Donald Trump, there's not, there's not a way for the president to force you into doing that. And at the end of the day, those same commissioners also came up with the same conclusion as we're not doing anything until the health officials sign off. But I do think you, you want to be safe. You want to protect your players. But at the end of the day, everyone understands the amount of money that's still at stake. And that's why the pressure is still there. And I think the determination is still there to try to, you know, cobble together whatever type of season finale, you know, final half of the season that, that, that everyone can. Right. Right. Guys, in, in the interest of, uh, of, of going a little bit lighter here, uh, first of all, great job breaking everything down. I think we're going to chat for a few more minutes here. I think the, uh, the listeners who always enjoy your guys work might, uh, enjoy, you know, kind of getting a little taste of, of how this has impacted the two of you, you know, like with what we do, uh, I think you'd all agree. There's a, an element of culture shock to your new reality being what it is. And again, everybody's going through their version of that, but you know, we you kind of, you do this long enough, 
you're born to be in the arena, uh, to talk with people, to shake hands, to be around players. Um, and, and now it's a very different existence. Tony, first of all, and I don't think you'll mind that I'm getting into your family business a little bit, need to take a moment to thank your amazing wife who is a nurse and is, is doing good work that it's a, you know, a lot more meaningful than, than us sports writers out there. And I hope she's holding up. Okay. Um, but, but tell us like, you know, you went through quarantine, you've got two kids, you know, you're now like the rest of us, not going to games, you know, and then again, you got a wife who's uh, on the front line. Like, you know, what has the, the Tony Jones family impact been in this experience? You know, it's been interesting because, um, you know, I'm really worried about her. Um, you know, and I've told her, I've told her that, and, you know, it's, there, there are things that, you know, she wants to talk to me about, but she can't talk to me about legally because of HIPAA violations. Um, you know, so we just kind of um, dance around a bunch of issues. And, you know, when she goes to work, I'm like, okay, so, you know, are you taking every precaution that you can? Are you being safe? Do you have the correct equipment? Um, you know, and, and, you know, every night or every day that, you know, she goes to work, I'm just like, hey, you know, be safe out there. And, you know, and then it's kind of really, you know, un- unspoken thing. Uh, that's between us. Um, you know, she's, she's really hard on the kids. You know, the, you know, the kids have cap and fever. Um, but you know, it's like, okay, well, if you want to go outside, go out on the porch and then come back, come right back in. Um, you know, no playing with friends. Um, you know, Google hangouts for, for the 16 year old and, you know, for the 10 year old is she's just doing TikToks all day. Um, you know, we've gotten into uh, a certain uh, rhythm in terms of school. Um, you know, the the the, the kids' schools both uh, have teachers that are getting on Zoom. Uh, shout out to, to all the wonderful teachers out there who are still uh, teaching curriculum and, and going through curriculum. Um, you know, so you know, the kids are. Mrs. Amick is in that group for the for the record. Yes, yes. yes. So we. Uh, you know, we kind of go to school every morning. Um, you know, this morning we, you know, we, we talked to, to, you know, one of the teachers, um, about the 10 year old, you know, so, you know, it's, it's slowly, but surely trying to, uh, adjust, uh, um, to a new normal. Um, I think one of the issues, you know, that, that, that we have is, you know, what's the frequency of us going to the grocery store? Um, you know, because everything that, you know, we, we, we eat right now is kind of, you know, um, kind of home cooked, you know, so, so, you know, you have to take precaution in that. Um, we're actually teaching a 16 year old how to drive. Um, so our lives are on the line every day. Um, <laughs> at least the roads are open. Well, <laughs> Uh, the roads are the, the roads are definitely open, and I think I had a conversation with Shams this weekend, and you know I'm like talking to Shams. I'm like mailbox, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like my bad, Shams. I'm just I'm just in the car with my 16 year old. Um, you know, so I mean, it, you know, it's it's trying to adjust to a new normal. For me, I think the biggest thing when I'm home, um, you know, I kind of live in the gym. And, you know, obviously gyms are closed. So, 
I've had to to figure out different workouts. So I'm doing YouTube home workouts and and walking around the neighborhood, um, you know, in, in 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 order to try to stay in shape. And um, I haven't picked up a basketball competitively since like February 27th. Um, and I don't think I've ever gone this this far in life without playing at least a pickup game. So it, it's, you know, for, for my family, it's basically just kind of adjusting to a new reality, just like everybody else. And, you know, and it's, it's a reality kind of in, in, in isolation. Um, but, you know, you try to make the most of it and you try to do family things and, you know, you try to have like a family movie night and, you know, I've played a lot of 2K as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's been really interesting. I, uh, before I throw it to Shams, I, I'm going to nominate you, Tony, for, I think you should be doing like a athletic staff workout. You need to be our, our gym teacher here, brother. Cause like, I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't have it going yet. I, I, I was in a good rhythm past couple of years going to the gym. Uh, I, I've been, I got jealous the other day. I was looking at Facebook and, and colleague and friend, uh, Chris Broussard now at Fox sports put up this video where he's got this absurd gym at his house. He's out there doing like the Rocky training video and, and, he, and he's got a bench. He's got elliptical. And I'm like, man, I don't have it like that at the house. So I need help. I'm sure I'm not alone. So I think, I think coach Tony should be taking the, the reins here, man. I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that to the CEOs and then, and then they're going to make you do it. So sorry, I'm putting you out there. <laughs> so one of my, one of my sisters, my older sister, one of my older sisters is dating a millionaire and this dude bought her a Peloton. Nice. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> now, a, now I'm upset. A quarantine sugar like, daddy. That's good. She got a quarantine <laughs> sugar daddy. The guy bought her a Peloton. <laughs> and like she's doing she's like doing these Peloton workouts uh and throwing and throwing them on her IG stories. And I'm just like, every time I just I just give her the thumbs down. Like I just give her the thumbs down on IG every time because I'm just like, not all not all of us can have a millionaire Man, just buy us the Peloton. I got this treadmill that my wife now we're getting in the weeds, but my wife bought a couple of years ago and she was trying to save a few bucks. So it was probably sixty bucks on some garage sale website. And uh and that's all we have and like we don't have home stuff. And I tried to use it yesterday and I swear this thing was built for children only because it's got this tiny little belt and you got to focus your steps perfectly or else you're going to wind up, you know, like on America's Funniest Home Videos, just face planting into the ground as you, you try <laughs> to get a workout in. So it, it's hard living out here trying to burn a few calories. Um, but uh, Shams, how is it for you? I mean, you know, we all, we knew you were on the phone all the time before and you can keep doing that. I mean, but but you're not distracted by games and it's all digital at this point. Like, do you add another cell phone? Do you how's the operation different, man? How's daily life for you? <laughs> yeah. First and foremost, one thing I think we all know will never change is is quarantine or not. Tony will will be on his workout game. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm inspired. Tony, yes. that's first and foremost. Um. But for me, like I, I, you know, like you said, you know, a lot of what we do is on our phones anyway. So in that respect, it hasn't been different. But you know, kind of like Tony, my mom's a nurse, my sister's a nurse. So for oh, me, my whole, you know, yeah, my mind is 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 you know, obviously it's on the work, it's on it's on this, but it's also on them, and and um, you know. I'm, I can stay inside and as, as much as I want. They're the ones who are out there and putting themselves, at, you know, essentially at risk at different points to, 
you know, get the virus or whatnot. So um, that's really what my mind is. is, is Are they in the Chicago area too? Yeah, my sister's in, in D.C. My mom is, is in, in at one of the hospitals in the, in the, in the Chicagoland suburbs. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's just a part of it. Like Tony said earlier, you know, it's 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 kind of scary, but um, it's it's life, and and um, you know, that's why they're in that profession. And um, you know, for me, my my workflow hasn't really changed. Obviously, we're not going to games, which is a bummer. We're not traveling to games. We're not traveling to go see people. So it's it's definitely it's changed everything. I mean, I feel like life we're in a, we're living in a movie right now, and it's it's definitely been difficult. I would just try to go on as many long walks as possible sure. and try to um, make the most of every day. I have a friend uh, who I used to cover, and I actually talked to him yesterday. This guy named Joe Seth Dawson, great guy. He was a really good point guard at Sac State, Sacramento State, when I went there, and and uh, covered him for a few years. And honestly, like always, had a kind of special place in my heart as like the first good Hooper that was not only fun to cover, but that, you know, gave good interviews. And I wrote stories about, so, um, Joseph now works for Southwest and I actually see him at the airport all the time when I'm running around doing what we do. And so fast forward to yesterday and he actually hit me up and he's, he's doing a, an IG live interview with a former teammate of his. He had a few questions about just kind of like putting his media hat on, but it really hit me that it's like little things like that, people like that, where I'm used to seeing Joseph probably once every couple of weeks at the airport here in Sacramento. And now, you know, he's holed up, I'm holed up, everybody's holed up, and and we don't know when it's going to change. Uh, guys, I know you got stuff to do. Uh, you got people to take care of. Cannot thank you enough for coming on the pod. Cannot thank you enough for just the way you guys kind of went through this whole collab process. It was a lot of fun. Uh, proud of the work we put out there. Look forward to doing stuff with you all in the future. Uh, I appreciate you. Keep doing your thing. And thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. And likewise. Thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate it, bro. You got it, boys.